Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad, because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Hey folks, welcome to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Ballesteros and I am your host today. Thanks so much for finding some time in your busy day to spend with me. As I always say, time is that one commodity that you just can't get back. Today we're going to be talking about associations and the power and the value of connecting and being a part of association. I recently read an article that went like this. An association is a group of like-minded people who share similar opportunities and issues. They leverage their shared experiences and expertise to foster the development and adoption of standardization and best practices. So I think sometimes what we think, you know, what we don't realize is that most associations do have a huge wealth of resources that you can tap into. It's not just networking. It's not just going out and meeting with them once a month or so or once a quarter attending maybe a conference. It is so much more than that, and many actually have buying power that you can tap into as well. So today we're going to, my guest is Robert Pervin, and Robert is the chairman of the Board of Trustees of the American Association of Franchisees and Dealers. You'll hear us refer to it as AAFD. And this is an association which is the oldest and largest generic direct member franchisee association Uh, since its organization in May of 1992. The AAFD has grown to over 5,000 members, representing more than 14,000 franchise units from more than 100 franchise system. So please help me in welcoming Robert to the show. Robert, welcome to the show today. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for that uh, definition of associations, which uh, uh, I think I checked off all all, all the marks that uh, completely agreed with that definition. Awesome. And and it's so much more than that, too, Robert. And I, I don't know that, and me included, I don't know that we know or realize that there's such power um, by affiliating yourself with an association. Before we get started in that, Robert, tell me a little bit about the history of AAFD and what is the story behind it? You know, you're the founder, so what possessed you or what um, you to want to create this association? Well, that's, that's an interesting story all by itself. So um, I began and I bill myself as a recovering attorney, but I practiced franchise law for many years, and mainly in my early years of my practice, I was developing franchise systems, uh, but beginning to see a, a pattern of, of uh 
of imbalance and mm -hmm. started representing groups of franchisees that had common issues. We can talk about what some of those issues might have looked like. But one day, one of my clients that was in the information business to begin with came to me and he says, gee, Bob, I know about the International Franchise Association that represents franchisors, but who represents the ease of the world? It uses right. his vernacular. And we began to do some research. Uh, we talked to some other franchisees that, and realized that there was no common voice for people who own franchise businesses. There were a few trademark-specific associations, um, starting with, I guess, the oldest one was the, the uh, Midas Dealers Association and, and some, some others. Um, but we began to do some research and realized that there was no generic voice for franchisees. And we got together with some of the leading franchisees that we knew of and um, decided that there needed to be a, a mirror image, if you like, of the International Franchise Association, but a voice of franchisees. And on mm -hmm. May 1st of 1992, we, uh, we signed a charter and uh, started for, for that initial purpose. Now, we've evolved a lot since then, but that's how we began. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it sounds to me that maybe it started out with supporting those franchisees that didn't feel they were supported by their franchisor. Is that right? Yes. I, I think that, that generally speaking and to this day, the people that, that uh, dial our number have, have a, a crisis that they're dealing with. Um, and so very much of our, of our benefit uh, comes from groups of franchisees of, of specific franchise systems that feel that they have um, a, an issue or a problem, which is sad because many of the things that you said in your introduction that a franchise association can do, like buying power and things like that, get lost in the, in the shuffle of the crisis that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so over the period of time, over the years, you've grown this organization to over 5,000 members, and that, that has to feel so very rewarding for you to be able to offer um, an outlet, a, a, a gentle or um, a kind ear or um, a caring ear to those franchisees. Uh, you have to feel that, that this is certainly something that's just going to continue to grow as the franchise business model grows as well, right? Well, yes, but not exactly in the way you might imagine. So when we began the AAFD, we imagined ourselves our, and our business plan was to be um, uh, an advocacy organization uh, with uh, representing franchisees in Congress and to, to be primarily involved with legislative advocacy, and that's still a big part of our, our program. We also imagined that we would be able to amalgamate our buying power, our generic buying power, for things that, that were, would cut across lots of franchise relationships, so things like insurance and, and long-distance service and, and things that anybody would buy, payment processing, uh, not trademark-specific products that you would have to get sourced through your franchisor. And that's also been a part of what we do. But what we did not perceive uh, until early on, and what, the AF, what has become the heart and soul of the AFD, um, is that groups of franchisees of a specific brand that did not have enough numbers or enough resources to form their own franchisee association, and I want to touch on this in just a second, um, that we could create chapters of the AFD 
and make it very easy for groups of franchisees of the same brand to form their own club uh, as a chapter of the AFD, and we provide their office and their management services so they don't have to reinvent the wheel. So if you are the, uh, the new McDonald's Association or the Subway Association, which, which has their own executive director, their own offices, and then they may have 1,000 members or 2,000 members. In Subway's case, they may have 10,000 members just within that brand. Uh, the AFD has become um, really a midwife for franchisee associations that want to form, and we provide them like they were a rotary club, um, but they're not geographically uh, defined. They're trademark defined, um, and we become their managing arm for a fraction of the cost of if they started from scratch and had to hire their own employees. Mm-hmm. That, that is so fascinating. Let me ask you this, Robert. Why did you decide to create an association instead of just doing business as an attorney and building a practice in, in that way? Why an association? Well, it, it really kind of goes back, to, again, to the definition that you read at the top of your show. The, um, when you have like-minded individuals that individually do not have sufficient voice to carry forward, um, whatever their, their image is, they join together and they associate, and that thus they and if they formalize that that association, it, that's what it becomes, and that's exactly what what we endeavor to accomplish. But it goes beyond that because once you associate for that political power, you realize that you also have bargaining power, and that bargaining power can help you find common vendors. Uh, if you have, uh, if you're one brand, you're able to put your dollars and voices together for com- common marketing, and the association is the the binding element that allows you to coalesce all of those things. Mm-hmm. Let's talk now a little bit, Robert, about um, the the franchisee experience. Um, are there some major pitfalls that you see happen pretty regularly or that you hear stories about franchisees that have um, experienced some of the same thing. What are some of the big pitfalls that you see happen when someone gets excited about a certain concept and they jump the gun? Now, 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 this is a six-hour show, right? Is that, <laughs> we, have six, <laughs> we can always so, bring you back, Robert. Trust me. <laughs> so, so the uh, let me kind of uh, preface this by saying that at the same time this was all happening, I was aggregating all of my personal experiences and representing scores of franchisee groups, and and um, and I ended up writing a book um, called The Franchise Fraud: How to Protect Yourself Before and After You Invest. And my book was, even though the, it talks about the word fraud, was not based upon the idea of particular fraudulent practices of franchisors. But I was choosing and blowing the whistle, if you like, on the franchising industry for falsely representing franchising as a safe and secure path to business ownership. And I've listened to some of your, your earlier uh, podcasts and was interested that you, you address a lot of these issues and some of, your, of the shows that I've listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my, my, the first chapter of my book, I identify 
um, six items that I consider to be myths of franchising, and these are some of the pitfalls you're asking me about. I want to leave that for just a second because today what I would tell you is the number one misrepresentation in the franchising industry and the number one pitfall and problem I failed to identify in my book. Uh, and today it's my number one issue, and it's the abuse of franchisors' ability to compel franchisees or to dictate or mandate suppliers or their supply chains. Um, franchising is represented to be um, a method in which I can take advantage of group purchasing. If I join a franchise network, um, the royalty I'm going to pay is offset by what I'm going to save and my costs of goods sold. But mm -hmm. in too many instances, franchisors take their ability to mandate a source of supply, and your, and your speaker of a couple of weeks ago had this, made this exact point. Um, I'm able to mandate your source of supply, and therefore I do not have to guarantee you best pricing because you're required to, to buy them. Early on in my practice of law, uh, I had a group of Texaco gas station dealers come to me, and they, their complaint was that they had to buy their motor oil from Texaco, Havoline Motor Oil, and that makes sense. They're a Texaco dealer. They're going to buy, but they were required to buy their motor oil, and they what they paid at wholesale for that motor oil that they then turned around and sold to customers was 50 cents a quart more than that customer could go to their local oh, now Costco goodness. to buy that wow. same, that same motor oil. Wow. So I would say that that that's the number one pitfall, and I can go beyond there, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and talk about other issues that that um, that, that uh, are commonly dealt with. Uh, most franchisees uh, have great concerns over the way their marketing dollars are spent. And right. in, in a common area there, um, and I, I won't name names at this time, but uh, everybody pays into the pot the same place. And we had mm -hmm. one franchisor that was – um, that had kept all of the major markets as company-owned stores and had sold franchises in all the secondary markets. They then took a 6% advertising royalty or advertising fee from all their members, and where did they spend that money? On television in those major markets. Wow. So the franchisees that were all paying the same in, and, and by the way, the, 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 the argument is that I'm going to get a bigger bang for my buck if I'm advertising on a national t television program and everybody was going to get the benefit of it. But there was a huge disproportionate value going to the company-owned stores because they were in the major markets. Mm -hmm. um, so th th that's, so the, the use of and, the, and misuse of marketing fees is a big one. When I wrote my book, The Biggest Issue, uh, because it was being railed upon by big franchise systems, had to, was an issue what we called encroachment. In McDonald's, they called it impact. Mm -hmm. And that was building stores too close to each other mm -hmm. um, so that uh, a person who bought a franchise and was, was expecting to be able to draw from a decent-sized market had in, intra-brand competition, same brand competition from somebody who might be right down the street. Mm -hmm. So, um, and uh, we, we could keep on talking about other pitfalls, but these were things that were happening generically um, within a brand that causes that the, the brand people to come together and say, hey, we need to have a common voice because we want to be treated differently. Something that's been happening in the last five or six years that you see in almost, you'll, you'll see creeping into franchise agreements, something called technology fees. 
in addition to the royalty you pay, you pay a technology fee. And you say, well, what is a technology fee? And my answer is I have no idea because they don't describe what you're getting for those fees. In theory, you're, you're getting uh, access to a POS system. Maybe you're getting uh, some type of, of um, interrelationship to be able to mm -hmm. talk to your other, other members. But a lot of times that technology fee is just another way to charge money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Robert, when someone is, and these are great points, and I have seen some of those really um, that are red flags to me, but if an individual, and I, I can see that in the FDD before I would even present it to a client, uh, I have seen retention rate as low as 25%, and I would never show that concept to a client because that means they're 75% chance that they're going to fail. Um, and people go directly to the franchisor and they don't get that information right away. So if someone's listening right now, Robert, and they, and you could give them some advice when it comes to some of those things that you just highlighted, how could they, protect themselves or how could they ask the right questions that might give them the information, the better information they need to make a good decision? Well, that's, an, that's a great question and uh, I'm not sure that our regulatory framework for franchising is designed to help you get that because uh, as you uh, know in the the, the framework of regulation around franchising is required disclosure, and, it's, and the disclosures that a franchisor is required, are required to make are set forth in either state laws or the Federal Trade Commission's rule on franchising. And they've identified 21 things that you're required to disclose. It's not clear that if I ask a question beyond those 21 things if I'm entitled to an answer. Mm. Uh, and so if there are specific questions that I have, uh, what I'm told to do is go talk to other franchisees, which, by the way, I, you are probably the first guest that you've had that says, I think that's a terrible idea. That really isn't a terrible idea, but I, don't, the, I, I can't hold another franchisee responsible for what he may tell me, if he may lie or if he may not have the right information. I want to hold my franchisor accountable for it, and I want to be able to ask my franchisor those key questions and have him be responsible for the answers that he gives me. And, mm -hmm. and the question that I most want to ask is, how much can I make on, and how much are your other franchisees making? Right. And I want to get that data from, from the source, not, not uh, from some side source who I can't rely on and I can't hold mm -hmm. responsible for. So mm -hmm. it's probably something you haven't heard from other uh, other guests you've had, um, but but the, the the questions that you need to uh, ask the first question I would say is does your franchise system recognize a franchisee association of its members that you regularly talk to and negotiate with because without that you are powerless when you buy that franchise so mm -hmm. we we have a a tool that we call a franchise evaluation tool and at the top of the list is if a franchise if a franchise association exists in that brand that has negotiating leverage with the franchisor it's a much safer buy than any system that where you do not have a voice and access to be able to level the playing field with your franchisor 
Mm-hmm. Now, Robert, I can see that um, that some of the very large brands, you know, the McDonald's, the, the, the larger brands, might have an association like that um, internally. But I would have to think that most don't offer that. They don't probably don't even uh, think that that would be a, a consideration because they don't have the millions of locations. So for the smaller, I'm not talking about emerging brands, but I'm talking about something certainly smaller than McDonald's, what kind of advice would you give them um, that could possibly give some comfort to new franchisees? So, again, an excellent question, and, and you've just hit the core of the reason for the reason of, for being of the AAFD. We cater to smaller startups, either startups or smaller franchise associations that can't afford to have their own independent association, can't afford to hire an executive director. They can form a chapter of the AAFD in a split second. It takes, it takes all of 10 minutes for a group of franchisees to come to us, and we form an owner's association, but you may only be 25 members, but you're part of our 5,000-member association that represents 60 or 70 brands to accumulate all those numbers. Uh, so that's exactly what we do. And the other thing that we've done uh, that kind of goes back again to that definition you read, you mentioned um, the definition of an association that it's interested in creating standards. The most important work that the AFD has created has been building the body of fair, what we call the AFD's fair franchising standards, which can be used as a model for anyone to judge or grade a franchise system in fact, we do grade franchise systems against our standards, and it's probably been, been our most lasting contribution to the work of to the industry of franchising. Mm-hmm. You know, taking into consideration, Robert, uh, the the time that we're living in. So, folks, if you're listening to this recording, today is October the 21st of 2021. Last year was a heck of a year for us. Did mm-hmm. you see that? there were um, that you that the AAFD had to play a different role or had were you called upon more um, more frequently because of COVID? Well, I'm almost sad to say that COVID was a huge boost to our organization. We we mm-hmm. increased the number of chapters in the uh, from uh, 2000 and uh, from 2020 to the current date by about 20% of the number of chapter growth because a lot of franchisees were um, were impacted by COVID in a way that they, they they began to perceive the need. And so our phone rang more than, than it would in a normal year. So in, in that respect, absolutely correct um, that, that any type, any type of of uh, challenge to a franchise system causes people to look for, for solutions, and, and we became a very good solution for small groups. The, the thing that hit my mind as you asked that question is uh, of a unique problem is that we had one particular franchisor that happened to be very highly placed with the, the IFA that decided and announced to her franchise system that if they were getting PPP loans, that they needed to report those PPP loans uh, to them and pay royalties on them. Oh. Um, and the uh, 
I, I will tell you, I, I, again, I don't want to name the name of the, of the company because of the embarrassment of it, but uh, the call came out to us. Uh, we have direct line to the Federal Trade Commission, and about 15 minutes later, that, uh, that demand was, was probably was 30 minutes, but, <laughs> but, but wow. certainly thereafter it was, it was, re it was removed and, and withdrawn. Um, so that, that was the rare instance where we were able to make an almost an immediate change to some type of a challenge wow. that was just um, wow, that, unbelievable. That is amazing, Robert, uh, for you to be able to step in like that. And it's great to have uh, an organization that you can go to when there are when you are in a crisis. But Robert, wouldn't you love to be able to offer um, workshops and conferences that would be more than just addressing those crises and doing more about educating people? on maybe marketing, building their business. What does it mean to be a business owner? Do you see, you, do you see that you'll be offering those type of services as well? And, and we absolutely do. So the AFD has an annual conference, um, which is a delegate-based conference. It's not that it, we would welcome the masses to come, but all of our chapters are required to send two delegates. But we have... Uh, identified seven action task forces uh, that, um, and some of them are best practices in businesses. Some of them uh, deal with uh, the, the management of marketing funds. Uh, how do you uh, do customer training? Uh, or not customer training, but customer support training. Um, and so we do focus on all those. And then I personally, because it's such an important issue to me, I chair our task force on group purchasing. And our, our group purchasing task force has two, two challenges. Number one is to secure the benefits that was promised that, we're, that by owning a franchise business, I'm going to take advantage of group, group purchasing. So dealing with franchise or mandate rights and, and, and protections, and also for the AFD to go out and find the, the deals we, that we can, the best deals we can to offer to our members in areas where our members are able to have choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Robert, I am at a point where I need to take a commercial break. And I know you've shared a few stories with us. But when we come back from break, do you happen to have a few stories that you could share with us? Oh, absolutely. I, I, again, I have to ask if we can go on for six hours. So. <laughs> and I will say again, I we will schedule you back on this show to get some of that information. But folks, in the meantime, we're going to take a real quick commercial break, and we will be back with more from Robert Purvin. House Talk Radio. Join Tony and Wendy Gambone on House Talk Radio, where they talk all things house. From tips on home repairs and remodeling to best practices on buying and selling a home, hiring contractors, home loans, and insurance, as well as decorating ideas and how to get the most bang for your buck. If you would like more information about House Talk Radio, go to housetalkradio.com. Tune in 
every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. to Tough Talk Christian Radio with Tony Gambone. Tough Talk Christian Radio is for those who want to share and receive expressions of faith that will help you take the next step in your relationship with Christ. Listen in to hear from others about their experiences of faith and the love of Christ. Call in to share your experiences at 347-989-1363. Learn more by going to toughtalkchristianradio.com. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. Linda Ballesteros is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come, contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. Hey folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Bayes-Dedos. My guest today is Robert Pervin, and he is the chairman of the Board of Directors of Trustees for the American Association of Franchisees and Dealers. And when we broke for commercial break, Robert, I asked if you had maybe some stories that you'd like to share with us. Yeah, and I, I jotted down, and I, I told you that I could go on for hours, but I jotted down three stories that I'd like to perhaps share. Sure. Uh, and I want to start with one that you suggested um, is an issue which had to do with um, the retention rate of franchisors or the, the expendable, what in my book I call the expendable franchisees, and that how many franchise systems do not gain franchises, but they actually lose franchisees. Uh, That was really the primary focus of my book, was dealing with, you may recall, Linda, that 20 years ago, uh, the franchising world claimed that franchisees were 95% successful, that that, Mm -hmm. that 95% of all franchisees were still in business five years after they started. And and I was literally the whistleblower on the falsity of that data. Um, And one of the stories that I told in my in my book was mailboxes, et cetera, that claimed a 98% retention rate. And a group of our franchisees, uh, of their franchisees through my firm had sued them. Um, and on the stand, we were able to ask the, 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 the company uh, test those rates. And they said they, they claimed 98% success. And, but we asked them how many franchises did they have um, in, in business today, and it was like, 3,000, as I'm recalling, three or 4,000 is what I'm recalling, um, and that uh, how many franchises had they sold in the last uh, 10, 10 to 20 to 10, 10 years, and there was like 15,000. And mm. I'm saying, wait a minute, if you have a 98% success rate and you've sold 15,000, but you only have 4,000 now, how can you uh, construct those numbers? Well, mm-hmm. the way the industry constructed those numbers um, was they only counted a failure as a store that closed. So if right. I kept the franchise alive and mm-hmm. I sold it several times to a same to another person, or it got passed, even though each people in succession lost money, um, I could claim that the franchise never went away, and that right. I hadn't lied about my uh, the the, uh, the number of franchises lost. My franchise numbers kept on going up and the franchise never went away, just the owners. Mm -hmm. So that would be story number one that I would relate to a comment that you had made. 
And I, and I have also, Robert, I have also seen them take them on as corporate uh, company stores until they're able exactly. well, to sell them, uh, so that it exactly never right. um, it never shows up as a closed location. You're exactly right there. That, that's where we found the, the biggest area of, of misrepresentation is we just, the franchise won't go away. We're just going to change the ownership of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I wanted to share with you, and, and I mentioned that the AFD has this body of fair franchising standards, um, but the way we built those standards, I think, is very instructive and, and extremely encouraging. Uh, when we started to write our standards, the IFA has, the International Franchise Association has a, um, their own set of, of, of standards, or um, I think they call it their, uh, their um, ethical guidance. Or, um, and we didn't want to create our own from a franchisee perspective, so we decided we were going to invite franchisors, franchisees, and franchise attorneys all into our, our uh standards process, and we created three subcommittees, a subcommittee of, made up only of franchisors and, uh, and franchisor executives, um, of CEOs from some major companies um, that, that, that participated, um, and we had a group of franchisees that were leaders of our various chapters and franchisee associations, and we in, invited a, a, a group of attorneys. We had a total of 60 people participating in, uh, in our in our dialogue and with equal parts of each. And we did something that I thought was very stupid at the time, but turned out to be genius. And it wasn't my idea, but I'll take credit for it now. We made a rule that in order to pass a standard, um, each of those subcommittees had to approve that standard by a majority vote. And the whole committee had to approve the standard by a two thirds vote, which meant that we gave franchisors a, a veto and franchisees also had a veto of any standard. And we, we debated every aspect of the franchise relationship. Our standards book is available online and, uh, and through, mainly through Amazon. Um, we were able to adopt 140 standards covering every aspect of the franchise relationship. And what was fascinating about it is that we, 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 we would talk about smoke-filled rooms and everything. We met in private, at least initially. Uh, we, we met in person and by conference call the, day, the days before, well before Zoom. Uh, we debated all these issues, but everybody seemed to check their agenda at the door, their personal agendas. And it was amazing how we could agree on strong principles. And if any franchisee reads our fair, our fair franchising standards, um, they would say, wow, this is a, this is a great document. And the franchisors that part, and I will have to admit that we had franchisors that were fair-minded when they walked into the room, uh, but the franchisors that participated in our process, um, when we finished the process, the IFA ordered 100 copies of our book so they could do their own review. They did not participate, although various state attorneys general did participate in our process. It was a 15-year process to accomplish all this. Um, The IFA came back and felt we had done very balanced standards, and, and our standards are based, have become a basis upon which we can now offer accreditation to a franchisor that wants to boast its, its fairness and its balance and its franchise relationships. Oh, so I love that. But, but that would be the Robert, by, that, by getting that accreditation, it gives the franchisee or prospective franchisee, the shopper, so to speak, one more thing to look for. 
one more thing well, to, the, to help I, them, right? I would say it's, and I would argue it's the most important thing. Now, our yeah. standards only grade the fairness of the company. The, they do not grade the profitability of, of the company, mm-hmm. but if, uh, which is something that I'm sure that in, in your business that, that you probably put right up on top. So we, mm-hmm. we didn't go in and grade whether a company has good products and whether they have good customer service or, or, or they have run profitable businesses. We were looking at the relationship between the franchisor and the franchisee. So it's only one leg of the stool that you, that you want to have. But yes, the AFD Fair Franchising Seal, the problem we've run into is it's, it's a very expensive to grade a company into. We, we need to both grade the company and then we have to have a high percentage of, of franchisees to basically vote that the company des, is deserving of the seal. Uh, we, do a, we do an independent grade of the, of the company's contract we do a focus group uh, of franchisees to grade the actual practices of the company. I grade the walk. The franchisees grade the no, I grade the talk. The franchisees grade the walk. Uh, and then we do a, a survey of, of all of the franchisees that are open. And we have to reach at least 80% of them. And we ask them three questions. So it, it, are, you, are you reasonably happy with your Franchise agreement? Are you reasonably happy with the way your act, your actual relationship with your franchisor is? And do you vote? Do you vote for the franchisor to be awarded the AFD's Fair Franchising Seal? And uh, 18 companies have earned that brand, that brand distinction. Um, and uh, but our but our goal, and I won't be, I won't, my work won't be done until 90% of franchisors feel like they can't go to market without it. It's the mm-hmm. UL symbol or the CE code that you you have to have in your product before you can go to market with it. Yeah, yeah, very good point. You know, um, and and yes, many of our client, my clients, um, they do want to talk about how can, much can I make, but that is not the first discussion I have with them. Uh, I always say that you know it has to be you know first about their you know their skills, their passion, what they want their uh, lifestyle to look like, but after that. It's about the leadership team. And I saw that just really uh, come to the forefront during COVID because I saw so many franchisors step up beyond what you would think they would or what others were doing to be able to go in and just immediately, just weeks after this happened, to start uh, helping their franchisees to renegotiate leases, um, to uh, waive some of the royalties. So if you've got a really strong franchise team, the team, le- the leadership team, I think that is that weighs more than even the widget. For me, the widget is way down the line when you start making the decisions. Absolutely right, and 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 you know when you evaluate a, a stock that you're going to buy, that's the, who you look at at the very beginning is who is the, the that's who you're investing in is the leadership mm-hmm. team, uh, and and there are there are a lot of very fine franchise companies that that we run into. Unfortunately, what reaches us are the are not the people that are happy, but the people that are uh, are in distress. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't get to, to see them, but we'll, but once a year we reach out and we try to identify great leadership teams. This past year, we awarded Fast Fast Signs, which is not a member of the AFD sure. or not related to us at all, but we mm-hmm. uh, we awarded them our Fair Franchising Seal. No, I'm sorry, our our Franchisor of the Year Award. Uh, we've not graded their their contract, 
Um, and um, it just happened that Catherine Monson, the, the CEO of the company, was the chairman of the IFA. Uh, wow. There were, have been five companies that have earned the seal um, whose, whose leaders were presidents of the IFA. And I don't mm-hmm. think that that's uh, a surprise, um, but, but I do think it's instructive to your, to your point that the leadership and the, the compassion of the leadership for the needs of the, fran- of the franchise system mm-hmm. is a key element to choosing a fr- franchise. With this warning, that person might go away. So for many, many right. years, the Wendy's franchisees would not form an owner's association for the simple reason that they didn't want to hurt Dave Thomas's feelings. Right, right. But Dave Thomas had this dastardly thing that he did to them called dying. <laughs> and now they have an owner's association because yeah. their relationship with the company is no longer what it was when Dave Thomas was leading the team. Mm-hmm. Right. So I did have one other story I wanted to, yes. to, to share, and it's probably the only of my three stories that probably lined up with what you sort of had in mind when, when you asked the question. And the story I want to tell you is uh, this one of our chapters that is very typical, I hope would be very typical, uh, which is a company called Griswold Home Care. Yes. Um, it's a, we're very strong in the senior care services. It's been a, a burgeoning as we baby boomers get older and older and, and needing of senior care. Um, and, uh, but they had, they had some challenges, um, and their challenges started at the top, and a group of franchisees came to the AFD. They formed a chapter. Um, they wanted to address those issues, and they got a lot of resistance from the, CEO of the, the then CEO of the company. Um, and so to the point that they, they came together and they hired a, a, an attorney to bring their grievances, uh, to threaten a lawsuit of those grievances. Um, the, the CEO got changed. A new guy came in who had a more collaborative spirit and said, we don't need a lawsuit. Let's sit down and talk. Um, and the Franchisee Association uh, had a negotiating team First thing, they had a, a legal fund, which most of our chapters create a legal fund, um, and we try to teach our members to talk softly but carry a big stick. Where have I heard that before? Um, <laughs> and, and, and the legal fund is the stick that says that we have the wherewithal to stand up for our rights when otherwise. But, we, but our goal is not to go to war with you. Our goal is to have the kind of collaborative, respectful marriage that we thought we were going to have when we, when we joined your franchise system. Well, the CEO and his management team uh, took to heart that offer, and we ended up, we took about a year negotiating what I consider to be an industry standard um, franchise agreement that was 97.8% compliant with the AFDs or respectful of the AFDs fair franchising standards. At the end of the day, once the relationship got done, something amazing happened. Um, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of hard bargaining, but at the end of the day, everyone had invested in that contract. So not only did they have a contract, but everybody took ownership of it. And the franchisees began rowing with their franchisor instead of against their franchisor, and the relationship that they, that they had developed. And this is not a unique situation. We had uh, the general counsel of a company called Tudor Time. They're, they're, they're no mm-hmm. longer a franchi- franchise, unfortunately. Um, came to our 
uh, conference one year, and, and his testimonial was that stuck with me forever. He said, I used to hate coming to work because all I was doing was dealing with, excuse the expression, bitching franchisees that were, that were upset about, about some problem or what, whatever. And then we got into this process with the AFD, and now we feel like a family. And wow. so the idea of collaborating with your franchisees, not treating it's a them versus us, but mm-hmm. coming together with a franchise agreement as Ken Walker, who had been this, when we did, went through the same process with, with the Meineke dealers, following a 10-year war that they had, had with each other, Ken Walker coming to us and said, we now have an agreement I, that we all can enthusiastically endorse, and it has made our business so much better because we're a family again. And mm-hmm. that's what having an association can accomplish. It's not, it, it may look like we're forming an association to become an irrepressible force, but the goal is, is to level the playing field. We always talk about leveling the playing field in franchising. Having an association allows you to match resource to resource so that nobody wants to spend the money on lawyers, um, but they want to spend the money on building the collaborative relationship and respecting each other that can allow franchising to do everything that it's promised to do uh, in, that, in that initial sales presentation. Right, right, exactly. You just want to, you want to know that you have that in case you need to use it. And for a franchisor to work with you guys initially, then it makes their life so much easier. They're, they're not constantly putting out fires with their franchisees because, uh, like you said, the, they've, they've leveled the playing field and uh, everybody's contributed. So that's great, great information there. So, Robert, I, we're down to the end of the show. If someone is listening and they would like more information about the AAFD, where would they go to find that? Well, our, our website is very easy to find. It's just aafd.org. Um, and there's a, I would like to say there's a wealth of information that's right, right there. Uh, if you want to get continuous information for us, we offer a free subscription to our Franchisee Voice Weekly. Uh, we have a blog that's published on our website, but every week we, it, whatever articles we publish to our blog, we send out to our, um, to our several thousand sub, uh, subscribers um, that, the, that are, have subscribed to, to hearing from us. Uh, mm-hmm. We have an 800 number. I don't know if people use 800 numbers anymore, but it's 1-800-733-9858. Uh, the AFD does offer uh, what we call an associate membership, which is for anybody that's interested in franchising. It's really designed for people that are looking at buying a franchise and mm-hmm. that provides them some tools and resources. The AFD also um, has a very powerful, what we call, and probably our most used service is our franchisee legal line network, which is a network really of the who's who of franchise attorneys that, that specialize in representing franchise owners. And all of our members get free access to our legal line, free initial consultations, and all of our legal line attorneys offer discounts um, in their legal fees, which uh, more, more often than not uh, completely offset the, the dues to join the AFD. An associate membership currently is just $79 a year, um, and it's a great place to, to start for information. Franchisees that, that join us and form, uh, through a chapter uh, we provide full support services. We actually act as the executive director of, of the chapters we are at their offices, and their dues is a little higher. 
Mm-hmm. Very good. So we are down to those final three questions. And the first one is, if there is someone listening who's considering purchasing a franchise, what would you suggest that they do to prepare for the process? <laughs> I feel like you just lobbed me a softball. <laughs> so the first thing they would do, the, the first thing that I would do is go to our website and become an associate member of the AAFD. Um, and with your membership, you're going to get uh, something called the AFD's um, Franchise Evaluation Tool. Um, we've identified, and, and Linda, I'm going to send you a copy of this right after the, the, the show so you can t- t- take a, a look at it yourself. Mm-hmm. We've identified eight criteria, business criteria, um, that a person should l- look at in evaluating any franchise business. They start with the, the, the question of does the company offer quality products and services that you would want to uh, associate your name with? Um, and, and, and is the company dedicated to franchising with its primary method of product and service distribution, or are they in competition with their franchisees? But there are eight business criteria, the last of which is uh, does the company have a franchise agreement that is compliant with another thing that the AFD offers called our Franchisee Bill of Rights, which are 13 very important contractual considerations um, that that a franchisee should um, should hopefully have present in their contract, and you're able to grade the company on these what ends up being 21 different uh, categories. I said I said that right. Eight. It's eight plus 13, which I think is 21 uh, d- d- different categories, and then you get a score for that for that company, and that starts your due diligence. If the company has a high score there, then you want to go to the, the, the next phase, and you definitely want to engage, uh, you, you want to take the contract to an attorney, and you want to take the contract to a financial advisor who is able to help you kind of uh, jump into the, into the opportunity and evaluate it with great care. Um, and a lot of people tell me, well, why bother taking it to attorney? I don't have any choice in the, in the agreement, and that's probably true most Franchisors are not going, there are exceptions, but most franchisors are not going to be able to negotiate the terms of that agreement. But at least you'll know going in uh, where the pitfalls of the agreement are. And and if the pitfalls are too serious, you should uh, exercise one of your great options, which is to say no and to go into the next opportunity that may make more sense for you. Most definitely. You know, Robert, I've heard those horror stories where Someone has taken their signed FDD to an attorney, and the attorney's talking to them about the FDD and the 10-year agreement, and the person that signed it didn't even know it was a 10-year agreement. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so whether well, folks, whether I you, you were think say it, something. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought we were going to say something slightly different. I, I had a client come to me. And I asked for his F- after the fact. He was in trouble with his franchise, and I said I need to see your FDD. And he and he delivered his FDD with a post-it note on it. And he said, "Here's my FDD. I took it to an attorney before I I bought." And he said it was typical, and I took it to mean it was all right. <laughs> so, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think I would use another attorney next time. That would just be my advice. So um, the next question here is, and we may have talked a little bit about this, what are two traits that make a successful franchisee? 
Well, the first thing is you shouldn't have you shouldn't be an, think of yourself as an entrepreneur. In fact, I think every franchisor should right. have entrepreneurs need not apply. When you mm-hmm. buy a franchise, you want to be part of a system, and if you are ill re- prepared to adopt, adopt and implement that system, you're just asking for for trouble. So, mm-hmm. so number one is are you material to be a, there can be great advantages, but if you want to do it your way rather than the franchisor's way. All you're doing is asking for trouble. So I would say that that's trait number one. Mm-hmm. And trait number two is to make sure that you have sufficient resources to be able to to in, invest in the in the service and to to stay. And they're going to tell you how much money you need for six months in the FDD. But you need to to, to know: Do I have enough money to? pursue this and stay with this program. That's assuming you've asked me for two traits, and I, and I really want to give you ten, but, um, <laughs> but those are two things that I absolutely, if you're going to buy a franchise, understand that you're, you're adopting somebody else's system that you follow, that you're a fan of, that you are, are a fanatic fan of, you love the system, you want to love what it is, and you're willing to follow it. And secondly, that, you're, that your resources are such, and, and and understand that you are providing capital to the franchisor, um, and that that's he's reached out to you for your capital, and you should have definite rights in exchange for the capital you're providing. Mm-hmm. Most definitely, um, and I think you are probably my m- most qualified guest to answer this question. So, what does the future of franchising look like, Robert? Wow, that's. Uh, I don't know if you heard in the background. My wife said the same thing. The, uh, uh, but the future of franchising, boy, it's like it's like the future the future of the United States. If we're careful and if we're and if we um, use our good sense, the future is bright for franchising. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we're going down a path right now that that's troubling. Um, yes. Right now, as you ask the question, for the first time in the 30 years that the AFT's been around, we feel like the government is listening. And, and, and I say 30 years, so that encompasses both blue and red administrations over time. But we suddenly have the ear of the Senate, of the Congress, of the Federal Trade Commission, which is looking at its, its regulation of franchising right now hard and is reaching out to us in ways that have never happened. Um, we didn't discuss it on uh, earlier in this call, but for many years the Federal Trade Commission has determined that its only role is in pre-sale disclosure, the regulation of pre-sale disclosure. But the Federal Trade Act gives the Federal Trade Commission the authority to deal with all kinds of abusive practices or unfair business practices. But the Federal Trade Commission has never used that in franchising, and suddenly we've got, after 30 years of, of urging, they're saying, you know, you're right. We probably can use Article 5 or Section 5 of the Federal Trade Act to uh, go after franchisors that are treating franchisees abusively. So uh, there is some uh, optimism of the future that, w- that the government may provide some help for us when in most instances over the last 30 years, the, the, uh, the, the regulatory framework has enabled franchisors to um, continue abusive practice, what we consider to be abusive practices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other subject that I would like to have another hour for. 
Absolutely, and we will certainly we will certainly get on you on the calendar for sure because I feel like there's so much that we could talk about here, Robert. But if somebody's listening again, one more time, where would they find out more information about the AAFD? Again, our website is aafd.org, um, and uh, we also have a Facebook page. I'm not sure I know what that is, but I guess if you, if you go to Facebook and type in AAFD. Um, and we also have a YouTube channel uh, that, that has a spattering of, of basically testimonials or from, our, from our conferences and companies that we've given awards to, um, either Franchisor of the Year or, or Fair Franchising Seal that they're able to find, um, and also some exposés, some interviews that I've done in the past um, that talks about some of the abuses in the franchising industry. Wonderful. And I might also mention, if I can, if I can be so bold, mm-hmm. is that my book, which is now 20 years old, the book came out in 1994, and it was updated in 2008, um, is called The Franchise Fraud, How to Protect Yourself Before and After You Invest. And if you're looking at buying a franchise, you will get a real education of what to look for. Um, it's written from the perspective of somebody that believes in franchising, as I do, uh, but also somebody who's very concerned about some of the things that franchisors have done that have left people in a very um, unprotected state. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Robert, I so appreciate you coming on the show and sharing with us your expertise, your knowledge. And um, to be honest with you, um, until you reached out, I was not familiar with the AAFD and I have done some research on that. And so it is just very comforting that I can refer my clients to the AAFD as well uh, when they become franchisees or when they're looking at becoming a franchisee. So, so I so appreciate it. And I look forward to having you back on the show for sure. Well, I look forward to it. And thank you so much for giving us uh, the opportunity to make our uh, mysteriousness be less so. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We, we want to make sure that you're no longer the best kept secret, right? <laughs> right, for sure. Very good. Thank Thanks very again, much. Robert. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Bye now. So folks, you know, the show is all about franchising. And um, that is exactly what we're presenting to you. Not just concepts, but also associations just like the AAFD and and other associations that support that franchise business model. As always, I'm going to leave you with a quote. It goes like this, alone we can do so little. Together we can do so much more. And that's by Helen Keller. That's exactly what the AAFD does is coming together they can do so much more. There's, um, there's a saying, uh, there is power in the numbers, and that is certainly evident with this. Thanks so much, folks, for being with me on All Things Franchising, and I'll see you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.